Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, the forgiveness doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. Hi, and welcome to my shifter's video. My name is Michael Rock, and we are here to support the understanding and the practice of first-century Aramaic forgiveness. I think I just heard Michelle get in there. Hey, there, young lady. I'll turn it back my over intro. to you. I just said a quick hello. My intro was um, going on the mute. Um, uh, welcome to the show today. That September 25th, 2015. I'm Michelle Pichet, filling in for Jeannie, and I'm here with our host, Dr. Michael Rice. Thank you for joining us, investing time in your process of healing, and participating in our show. As easy as calling 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that will put you into queue to talk with us. So, we've already welcomed Michael. Michael Michael's welcomed me, and we will uh, start the show. Thanks. Well, thank you, dear heart. And... Welcome, everybody. We're honored, we're blessed, and we're delighted that you're here to share with us as we pursue this absolutely awesome tool called forgiveness. And I'm working right now. We're at a, a retreat center called Where Grace Meets in Monroe, Louisiana. I'm working with a number of pastors from different churches, and just it's it's just opening the appreciation for how this forgiveness process so powerfully collapses the mind based in hostility or fear and gives us access, number one, to what's at the root of our hostility or fear, and number two, gives us access to the presence of love in every circumstance. There are just several aha moments happening in the uh, in the classroom right now with everybody, and uh, and so it's, the energy is moving powerfully. We're just we just completed step one of the worksheet. Last night we started out with the uh, the whole idea of forgiveness and and did the uh, three or memories exercise and the when I heal exercise, and now we're moving into the understanding of and the doing of the reality management worksheet, the forgiveness process. And the forgiveness process is one which, if you find yourself capable in any circumstance of any form of hostility or fear, you know, people look at that little child that they hold so deeply in their hearts, and all of a sudden, if the child isn't meeting their goals, 
they find themselves in oftentimes such deep rage and point toward the child as though it had something to do with the child or a spouse or a parent or someone else that's cared for. And it's not a, a process where somebody's at fault for doing that. It's just that we haven't been taught how our minds work and why and how our minds produce hostility and fear. And in particular, we haven't been given the tool with which to remove hostility or fear. So we're here to share that tool with you and to encourage and support its practice in more and more people around the globe. And as it moves around the globe, we had one young man who's uh, who's here from Argentina, and he shared with us that he had touched with this work uh, through YouTube a couple of weeks ago. And... uh, and just from his understanding of a few of the YouTube videos, he had made a trip back to Argentina and had a relationship that had been in dire straits for some period of time, like you know, years, and was able to just open the space for healing to happen so sweetly and so beautifully. And it's it's just so reliable when you understand how the mind works that you can enter into the process of forgiveness, and by doing so, you literally collapse the mind's ability to produce realities based in hostility or fear. And so as you do that, you're freed from those dynamics that are internal, but our mind tricks us into thinking are caused by something external. Hostility and fear are never caused from the outside. They're always internal processes. And when we recognize that, When you look at the situation that you're in and you see that you have a goal that isn't being fulfilled, the goal that you hold is the driver that causes your mind to use that hostility or fear to produce its output. You know, if you have a a computer that uh, you want to print to a new printer, you first have to load a driver. Otherwise, the computer can't talk to the printer. The printer can't produce what you want it to. Well, in the same way, in order for your mind to produce its output, there has to be a driver. There has to be something that communicates from the massive data within you what data is going to be utilized to produce your perception and make make it clear and understand that all perception is a construct of the mind. And so if you load a driver that causes your mind to use hostility or fear, what happens when, when that is hostility or fear when producing its reality, what happens when you engage in forgiveness? And in the Aramaic, the word forgive is shabag or shabak, and it means to cancel. When you cancel that goal, when you remove the driver, hostility or fear that is driven by that goal collapses. The perception based in hostility or fear collapses. And rather simply, When it collapses, you know, if you could imagine, it collapses in on itself, and as it collapses in on itself, it gives you access to the root of the hostility or fear, the root experience. And when you have access to the root experience and you expose it to love, what happens is that content based in hostility or fear simply begins to heal. And so we support that healing process, and that's what this work is all about. So we're delighted and honored that you're here with us that we have this opportunity to share these tools with you. And uh, Michelle, is Dr. Tim with us today? Michael, he is. 
Yep, no, he, um, he, he is, and um, I was pressing his microphone on at the same time he's pressing one, so, you know, he he disappeared underneath my cursor. He's on. Hey there, and yeah? you. Tim? Are you with us, Dr. Tim? I am here. Oh, cool. So, Michael, are you going? Are you going through a healing crisis with your voice? I am. Yes, I definitely am. Started uh, three nights ago, and uh, a whole other layer is is moving. So, yes, I am doing that, and it's still working pretty well. I'm still up in front of the class without a microphone, a pretty large room, and and it's still working all right. But uh, it is a little stressed. All right. Well, we'll hold that in the blessing and and you as well. We had our support group Thanks. last night, Thursday night, and um we had a brand new person and somebody who's only been there twice and a couple other people. So we we watched the um I think it's a 2007 version of Healing Through Relationships. So we got to walk people through the three earliest memories of trauma process and answer a lot of questions. And um, as you might imagine, with somebody who's never been exposed to the work before and somebody who's only been to one other group session, it was uh, stirring a lot of brain cells. And fortunately, they were vocal and they had plenty of good questions. So it helped us. Explain to them what you just said over and over in your intro, that um, the mind is an expert at creating the illusion that what it's experiencing is coming from outside of itself, but that's never true. And um, so good questions and people were clearly having energy move in, in the session and then somebody decided to be brave and do a worksheet, and it was very productive. And it, it uh, he used the words, this freaks me out, because when he canceled his goal and asked to be shown the hidden part of his mind that was actually creating his anger, he got a very vivid image of an interaction probably 20, 25 years ago. And um, it was directly related to the same kind of pattern that's going on today, and so it fit right in line with the three earliest memories of conflict uh, exercise, and it was just a very loving and productive session. And then we had one group member who stayed late to ask some questions about getting the most out of the worksheet process by making sure that the goal is aligned with the emotion the triggering event, the trigger, the thought, and finally the goal. So so it was very productive, and I once again have to report feeling blessed and uh, grateful for having those people in my presence twice a week. Are you there, Michael? Well, maybe not. Michelle, are you there? I, I, 
I am. My screen just disappeared on my phone, and I had trouble getting it back to under the mute, but I'm here. And uh, it certainly is exciting to uh, to watch what, uh, what people get in touch with in that uh, the unconscious part of the mind when, when the, the, the canceling of the goal. You know, uh, for me, it's such a uh, – oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's such a blessing to finally be able to, after having taught this process for decades and not knowing why and how it worked, it's such a blessing to go, oh, when you cancel the goal, the perception collapses, you get to see what's underneath it. You know, for years I thought, without knowing that, it just, well, it happened, but I didn't understand the process. So it's certainly cool to have a, a way to understand it and uh, and assist people not having to hang out with it for decades to uh, to get to understand it and put it to work on deeper and deeper levels. I don't know if you've been on the Internet today, but this morning I came across a, uh, a post that uh, Lisa Kamak had uh, done of one of your uh, uh, blogs on, uh, on a still point breathing session. And so I reposted that on the website today and suggested people go uh, sign up for your blog and, uh, and tap into uh, more of what you're doing. So. Well, thank you. I, I, I haven't been on yet today, and I haven't explored that, so... I'll go and take a look and refresh my memory about what I wrote. <laughs> Sometimes it's pretty good stuff. <laughs> Surprisingly so. Michelle, did you say something? Nope, nope. Chat room's quiet, no hands are up. Well, I was um I was very happy to be able to weave into the the lecture last night, that line from Brene Brown, where she she keeps when she when she gets triggered, she keeps the focus on herself and she lets her partner know that she's been triggered and that she knows she's creating her own problem. And she says, "The story I'm making up about this is blank." And then she talks about whatever she's feeling or whatever fantasy is created in her mind. And when I talked about that in the group, someone had been very familiar with Brene Brown and uh, expounded on that and gave another lovely example. And um, so that's, that's a very good set of... As I mentioned, she does her work and does research to try and make sure that what she's presenting to people isn't just her own personal fantasy or her own personal experience, that she does qualitative research and validates that this actually works across the board. So, And the more I read of her work, the more I see it being lined up very much in line with your work, Michael. So. So that was another nice aspect of last night's group, being able to weave in, as you said, a lot of different sources saying the same thing helps people understand it sooner and at a deeper level. Yeah, I know that uh, for me, early in my career, this idea I, I, I got when Yeshua said, you've got to have the eyes to see and the ears to hear, I realized that he was talking about building brain cells. And so one of the things I've pursued 
is how to explain something in as many different conceptual frameworks as possible. You know, people hear it in one conceptual framework, let's say physics, and they go, oh, well, that's nice, that's interesting. But when they hear it in the physics and they hear it in the psychological language, they hear it in the spiritual language, they hear it in the uh, mathematical language, all of a sudden, a whole different opening occurs, and so it's uh, it's pretty cool to have all those different perspectives that that open a space for deeper and deeper and deeper understanding. It's uh, it's just most amazing. And uh, teaching this morning, especially to this group of pastors who are pretty well schooled in scripture and such, uh, teaching in this environment, it uh, it really leaving me with such deep appreciation for the actual original ideas that Yeshua expressed and gave us as to how to live and how to really do our work and the the practical aspect of it. There are so many who've who've made up theological monstrosities out of scriptures that have harmed and hurt and damaged people in ways that are beyond comprehension and so so many people have rejected and thrown the whole thing out uh in fact i i was reading a a piece i was doing some research and in england they started a new church and the new church is the atheist church and they're saying what they're working to do is to throw out jesus and keep the bathwater you know that old thing the baby in the bathwater we're throwing out jesus but we're keeping the bathwater so they're they're creating an atheist community that they're calling church which i thought was kind of kind of amusing but that a lot of people have you know genetic hurt that by some of the insane stories that have been made about it that hurt uh, have taken on that damage and that uh that pain and had it reinforced in them by uh, so-called, you know, good church folks. And uh, so being together with a number of people who are well-schooled in that arena, uh, a whole different, a whole new, deeper appreciation of what Yeshua had to say is just uh, coming home to me in, uh, in really sweet ways this morning, especially. So it's pretty cool. Well, I'm well aware with that that phenomenon. I had a, an experience a while back where I was at the Unity Church, and a gentleman came in and sat down. He'd never been there before, but he was looking around for a church because he's going to be moving into the area, and he'd been going to the Unitarian Universalist Church where he lives. And I said, well, you'll probably like this if this is very similar in style and format to the Unitarian Universalist churches that I visited. So at the end of the service, he looked over to me and he said, wow, there's an awful lot of talk about God in here for a church that's more spiritual than religious. (laughs) And he hasn't returned. (laughs) Because the use, simply the use of the word God and light and love was anathema to him and so he hasn't returned to the church because he's he's going to go find some place where as you say they kept the bathwater but threw out the baby <laughs> i like that phrase <laughs> yeah i thought that was really cute so so anyway my, much appreciation for yeshua from 2000 years ago and what he gave us is just so monumental when you understand it in its original context 
It's a great context, not nearly so useful, but it was pretty amazing. So let's check in with Michelle and see if there's anybody in the uh, phone queue with hand up or anything happening in the chat room to be aware of. Michelle? Thank you. I um, wanted to go back to the Brené Brown concept in the uh, qualitative research. My uh, graduate school and my degree in humanistic and clinical psychology, I used qualitative research to write my master's thesis. And I'm pretty familiar with that process. And the question that came up in the chat room as we were discussing this was, if the mind is an evidential mechanism, then when people research, aren't they going to come across what is the dominant energy within their system? Unless they've got a mindset like the one Tim talks about so often, of I approach something and recognize that perhaps everything that I think about this is in error, so I'm just going to be receptive to what comes forward. There's not going to be a bias, but otherwise there's going to be a bias. The researcher will tend to find what the researcher wants to or expects to find. And oftentimes it's, uh, it kind of goes hand in hand with the, what I call the double golden rule. And the double golden rule is he who has the gold makes the rules to make sure that he who has the gold keeps the gold and gets more of it. And so oftentimes research is funded by a golden hand that the researchers have to serve, otherwise they're not going to get the funding next time. If they don't, if they don't come up with research that supports the findings that are desired, and the tendency is for that research to dry up. So oftentimes what becomes becomes peer-reviewed and supposed unbiased research is so biased it's unbelievable and or oftentimes the funding that took the research forward, the source of the funding is hidden. There was a project recently that uh, I posted about on on Facebook uh, about a company or a a research, a group of so-called scientists and I say so-called because they were serving the money, uh, came up with this research that said, basically, you know, it it doesn't really matter what you eat, take in all the calories you want, do all the sugar you want. It doesn't really matter. What you have to do is exercise more. If you're fat, it's because you don't exercise enough. And they forgot to say that Coca-Cola was funding that research. So, yes, oftentimes the bias, I mean, literally, uh, allows only evidence in. There's, a, there's that um, statement from A Course in Miracles that's so powerful when you understand it. It says, you must be aware of the distorting power of the way you want it to be. You know, if you say, I want to do a certain thing, and then your mind has an underlying goal to go in a different direction, it'll find a reason and a way to go in a different direction to take care of the goals that drive it rather than the things we're committed to. So oftentimes people will proclaim how committed they are, and then with the first pretext that comes along, drop their commitment and do what they really want to do anyway and say, well, you know, that didn't go the way it was supposed to, so that's you know that's why I did what I did. It's like, no, that's not why you did what you did. You did what you did because that's what you wanted to do. That was your goal. And, you know, otherwise you'd have made it up to support you keep going with what you said you were committed to rather than what your goal really was it was underlying and so and, and that ties back into a, a key that Yeshua gives us where he says that in in 
determining what's driving your system, you have to look at the fruit it produces. And when you look at the fruit, if the fruit doesn't of your mind doesn't support you keeping your commitments, then start looking for the goal that's in conflict with those commitments because your so-called commitment wasn't really a commitment in the first place. It was just a fraud that your mind was playing. Does that fit with, uh, with what you're thinking about, Michelle? Uh, I'm, I can ask. Um, she says, I'm thinking about how quantum mechanics shows that the observer impacts what is seen. I said exactly through resonance, whatever's held in the mind literally impacts everything that's observed. It, it, it impacts the whole observational system. First of all, that's one impact of it changes evidence that's available. You know, there's a, an interesting piece of research that was done by some animal researchers. And in this particular case, they took a cat and they implanted electrodes in the part of the brain that registers sound. And they had a clicking device and they would click this clicker in the cat's ear. And every time they would click the clicker in the cat's ear, the electrodes hooked up with an oscilloscope would show the scope bouncing every time that click happened. And then they put a cat, or pardon me, a mouse in a bell jar in front of the cat. Once they did that, now you wouldn't think necessarily of a cat having a goal, but that's exactly what it is. What's the cat's goal? Food, I want to eat. Once the cat is faced with mouse in a bell jar, they can click that clicker in the cat's ear till the cows come home and nothing shows up on the oscilloscope. The the literal physical sound going into the ear is gated out because there's only room for what the goal of the moment allows into perception, even with the animal. And so we see the same thing in the human realm. If my underlying goal is, well, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it, and I'm going to take care of me first and hell with everybody else, then I might nicely say how committed I am to you and supporting you. And then, again, on the first time that my mind can come up with the excuse, oh, well, I'll go off and do what I wanted to do anyway. I said I'd support you, but, you know, I think, well, you know, it just didn't work out, so I'm going to do my thing and let go of what I said I was going to do. And that's that's just how the mind works. And if you're not aware of your own biases in that regard, then it all seems like a perfectly logical, reasonable thing to do. So perception is impacted by those biases. And then literally the energy fields that radiate from us impact the actuality of the thing and change its structure as well. So it's kind of a dual impact there. you have any thoughts in that regard, Tim? Well, there's just a whole bunch of thoughts I have about how crazy the system is and, and the system of research is and the idea that there have been people who've tried to speak out about this for decades. And, of course, they're shouted down in silence because it would mean completely rewriting the system. Um, one author is a psychiatrist, Zaz, who talks about how 
how much bad research and how much bad impact psychiatry has had on people in general. Another one, there's a TED Talk you can find about how you can have 37 experiments that all show no correlation between eating strawberries and becoming a genius. And they all try to get published in peer-reviewed journals, and they get rejected because they don't show any correlation. And then one study comes along and says, wait a minute, there's a correlation between eating strawberries and becoming a genius, and that study will get published. Because it's written right, because it's in the right typeface, because they say they had this many subjects, because they say they followed this procedure. And now that will be in the literature. And it's just bizarre to think that when people go to the research to find evidence-based work, that's the pool they're taking from. They're taking from a pool that has excluded thousands and thousands of experiments that didn't get any results because they didn't have anything fun to report. And yet they think what they're drawing on is something that's actually demonstrating a correlation or proving cause and effect, etc. So it's a very unhealthy, um, dysfunctional system. And I'm... I'm I'm much more in favor of direct observation and doing what works and then doing more of it. Yay. I, I posted a post you just interesting you mentioned psychiatry here. I posted a post from a, an evidence based psychiatric uh educational institution in, in Britain that was hosting a series of debates and their position was as people who practiced evidence-based psychiatry, that psychiatry, by and large, was doing more harm than good on the planet. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And as you talk about the research, it just fits right in with how the biases allow certain information in that support things and and just exclude the rest. And, and of course, the rest, if they raise their voices loudly enough, will never get a penny of research money again. And it's a pretty self-defeating system in that regard. So, Michelle, any other thoughts from your uh, friend in the chat room or for yourself in that topic? Uh, the chat room person um, has got a list of worksheets <laughs> we're, we're sharing about, um, you know, the things that's coming up for them and kind of working through some stuff in the chat room. So no other questions there. And let me see. No hands up right now. Well, then our call-in number is 646-200-4169. If you're on one of those stations where we can't see you in our control panel, if you have a comment or a question or somehow that we can support you, if you call that number and or if you're in the phone queue already, if you push one, that will raise a little hand. Michelle will see that you're there and 
we'll get to talk with you. So if you're in the phone queue, push one. No waiting. We're here for a conversation. How can we support you? All right. Area code 607. Your mic's on. Who do we have and where are you calling from? Uh, this is Richard from Ithaca. How is everybody? Oh, hey. Hey there, young you? man. Haven't heard from you in a while. Good to hear your voice. What's exciting in your world? Oh, all kinds of good. Uh, but I was uh, I was hearing your conversation about uh, you know the, the the mouse and all that stuff. And uh, one of the things that uh, came up the other day, I was sitting having coffee with some people, a couple of educators, and some, one of the, one of the teachers was a Montessori school teacher, and they were talking about how. Uh, the sound actually travels to the brain faster than than the sight does. It's about twice as fast for the sound to get to the brain than it is for the visual stuff to get to the brain. And uh, so thinking about that, it was like, well, you know, why would that be? Well, maybe, you know, in the wild, you know, in our, our, uh, our um, uh, you know, our, uh, our, our reptilian brain, so to speak, uh, of, uh, you know, perceiving the world around us uh, for danger. So if you don't see it in front of you, but if you hear a sound, you know, somewhere behind you, that it would, you know, you might, your uh, brain would receive it faster than, uh, than sight. So it's just a, just a thought to uh, think about. Uh, you know, we the, we understand that the the uh, you know perception of the world and you know one of the things I've been studying lately is the uh, uh, the uh, by Bessel uh, uh, van der Kolk on the body keeps the score and the basically it's a topic about uh, how the brain, mind, and body. Uh, uh, deal with the healing of trauma. And you know, one of the things he points out is the amygdala, which is the, uh, the portion of your brain that's sort of sitting there uh, looking for, you know, scouting the world for uh, danger. Uh, when a, in a traumatized person, it's usually the right tra- uh, right uh, amygdala that sort of like gets fired and and sort of stays in active duty all the time looking for uh, danger. And uh, so anything that even perceives the danger that the, the person's been traumatized by, you know, they, they react unconsciously. And, you know, part of that is is that the, the amygdala, once it gets fired, is basically shuts down all the input from the conscious brain. So it's sort of interesting that the, uh, the hearing portion it's uh, transmitted to the brain faster than the eyesight. Just something that's... Well, and my understanding uh, also is that the thing that moves the most quickly, especially the primitive brain, is a sense of smell. It even precedes sound. It's the quickest to to produce uh, a reaction from the primitive brain. And, of course... All of these things, all the more reason to engage in the forgiveness process, 
to be able to drop into the part of the mind that holds such threat that it keeps the amygdala on guard and and brings old perceptual memories into play where perhaps those old memories don't belong at all and create distortions. You know, people in, in relationships oftentimes, they, you know, they're like, oh, I want someone who will cherish me and love me and nurture me and take care of me and be with me. And that person is there. But if the amygdala is running in overtime, just the slightest stimulus, and this person goes back to their trauma-based experience and acts as though that's what's being impinged upon them now. And, you know, that cycle's pretty hard to beat when you step into the recognition that there's a goal here, you know, somebody's goal to be safe, and they cancel that goal, they drop into the mind where their early experiences of not being safe are able to be brought to awareness in the presence of love. And all of a sudden, that bias that is causing the amygdala to stay active so much is gone. And a person can return to a normal relationship and, and a, a more realistic perception. So it's, it's, uh, it's certainly powerful to understand the, uh, the neuropsychology of the game. Right. Um. Anyway, I just thought that was an interesting. Uh, I, I didn't, wasn't aware of that fact about the uh, speed of sound being faster than the sight. Uh, so I just thought that was an interesting fact to contemplate. You know. Anyway, cool. that's all I. Had. I, I just uh, wanted to throw that out there as something to think about. Okay. Great. Where are you these days, Richard? Well, I'm still in Ithaca. Still in Ithaca. Oh, okay. Uh, and, uh, anyway, still here. Uh, I, I was hoping you might be uh, getting ready for one of your journeys west. And, uh, you know, we've got a gathering happening at Heartland this next weekend. And I had the thought, you'd be nice if Richard were coming through it, could uh, show us his um, some of his uh, building projects for uh, for growing spaces. That would be cool. Well, uh um, well, I'm actually stuck here in Ithaca. I've, I've been involved with a, a bunch of dance groups performing this summer, and uh, so uh, got a couple of those things coming up and rehearsing for that. That's going to be happening in October, and then I have a niece that's getting married cool. in October as well. So I'm sort of stuck here till the end of October. Anyway, I called uh, Magda yesterday and talked to her about uh, find out whether Chuck and that, uh, was going to put up his uh, uh, structure that he's they've purchased and they said they know they're not going to do that till the spring now so anyway so that was my time I was planning on coming down and giving them a hand doing that if they were going to do that so sounds like that's got deferred till the spring now yeah I think it has it's an amazing structure. I was there when they delivered it there, went and picked it up. And it's a pretty heavy-duty uh, growing structure that they're they're going to build. It's pretty pretty neat. So the state, in this case, is actually supporting individuals in building spaces to grow their own food and market the food locally. You know, that's just, to me, is awesome. And well, so I think that's awesome in general because... Uh, of the uh, situation you know our country's in, you know we really are gonna are gonna need uh, that type of uh, thing of where 
people can support themselves, uh, you know, growing their own food is a is a major factor, going to be a major factor here, I believe. So more power to them, and I, and I think that's a great thing, and I'm looking forward to giving them a hand putting it up. I'm in full agreement. One of the things that's happening in Heartland, I think that, you know, one of the, the sources of food for the future with all the chemicalization and the GMOs and the garbage that's being put in our food is that um, we've got a young man who's at Heartland right now who's working on building the auto sprout machines, and it looks like we're ready to take that into production. And so we're going to have uh, the auto sprout machine available, and here's a, a place where people can grow uh, about five pounds of sprouts fully automatically. All they do is move trays around every other day and come up with totally fresh, raw, actual live, still growing food. And I don't know what the numbers would be today, but I know back oh, 30 years ago when I first became interested, actually it's more than that, probably 35 years ago, became interested in sprouting. Somebody had done some research came up, I think it was for 57 cents a day with sprouts, you could get every nutrient that you need, all the proteins, all the amino acids, everything that you need. And, uh, you know, it might be $2 a day now, but uh, it's, I think, going to be the food of the future for people who want some modicum of control over their food because the way the food industry is adulterating everything is just just amazing. So I'm really... uh, um, excited about Matt being with us and uh, starting to uh, to get the sprouters uh, manufacturing back up into uh, into full speed and uh, making the uh, Heartland Auto Sprout available. Congratulations. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty cool. Already this summer, I actually spent quite a bit of time refining the uh, sprouting process, and so we've got some some new methods for growing and uh, some new uh, things that we're doing that we can take uh, and and have some of the most awesome sprouts ready in two days now. And it used to take you know four or five days, so so we're we're discovering things about the whole process as well. So it's pretty cool. So Richard, we'll look forward to the next time we get to see your sweet face. Well, in the meantime, dance, dance well and enjoy. Okay, have a good day. Thanks, okay, Richard. Take care. Love and blessing. All right, 646-200-4169. We've got about, oh, I don't know, 16 or 17 minutes left, so if you've got a question for us, we're here to answer. 646-200-4169 is our calling number. Michelle, anything happening in the chat room? Anybody with a hand up? Um, not right now. Um, I'm chatting with some people in the chat room and just processing some worksheet material. One one thing, um, since you don't have a hand up, I just found something by you that a client told me or shared with me one time, and I actually don't remember if I have. I shared it with Rex that. Um, I would explain the concepts of perception and how you explain actuality and the nature of that and every 7.5 billion realities and that that's based on content. And so the guy comes back a couple weeks later 
And he's like, you know, I, you know, I watched the material, the video you sent me. I, you know, read read um, some information. And he's like, you know, there's one thing I, I kind of want to challenge you on. I said, okay, what's that? And he's like, I, I don't understand this actuality thing. He goes, there is no such thing as actuality. And um, at first, I couldn't quite understanding what he was getting at. It's kind of an abstract concept. And the more we discussed it, I thought, huh. Actually, he's got a point, and that you know, I know that you use the word actuality to describe the concept and and how we can relate to it. But as you deepen your experience and understanding of it, I think that's um, a, a interesting perspective that there is no actuality at all. So I thought I'd share that idea with you because when we are talking about the uh, qualitative research and the observer effects. Well, I would I would love to uh, to hear more of what they're basing that on, but I think that if you're walking in the dark down a road, and all of a sudden your shin makes contact with an 80 pound rock that you couldn't see because it was dark, there was no observer effect. But when you land on actuality with your hands and your shin on the rock, you're going to know there's an actuality. We may not be able to accurately describe it as it actually is, but with no observer effect whatsoever, I couldn't see the rock, I couldn't perceive the rock, I had no idea it was there, but there was an actuality, and my shin is showing me what my interaction with that actuality was. So... At this point, I would certainly push back on on that thought, and I'd love to hear more about what their thoughts were that they come to the conclusion that there is no actuality. Um, I think it's based on that there's there's no shared agreement. It's impossible to have a shared agreement, and so it's kind of like the, you know, does the tree making a sound in the forest exist if there's no one to hear? It's kind of kind of concept. As much as well, I that that was. My my take would be that if I walk into my shin in that 80-pound rock and go over it and land in the small rocks, the crystal rocks, and my hands hit that and get all cut up, and you walk into it and you cancel the thought and you fall over it and hit your shin and have that bruise and your hands cut up, and he walks into the rock in the night not knowing it's there, there's going to be a shared understanding of actuality. Again, we may not its its existence does not depend on our ability to describe it or agree on how we describe it, but it's there. That would be my take. Let's see if Dr. Tim has any thoughts on that. Sure. Yeah, I agree with uh, Michael's observation here because I have fallen down before uh, on that eighty-pound rock and others. And um, and as you, these things usually come up, and my point is, okay, well, um, I think the last time I asked this question was with Rex, and I, I said, um, when people get into this level of trying to be abstract and esoteric and theoretical, I, I usually can't go very far down that road before I simply ask, okay, so if this were true then what concrete changes will you be able to make in your life to make your life better? 
And if there isn't a concrete change that I'm going to be able to make to make my life better, when I find out if there really is an outside actuality or there is a possibility of agreeing on it for a shared actuality or to have a consensual experience of realities, if there's no practical application to me being able to improve the quality of my life with that, then I just let people have their arguments and I go back to the work that makes my life better. Sounds like a good answer to me, Tim. Well, it's... I. My mind just doesn't like going down those 17 levels of theoretical. I, it just works better in the observable and, and present moment experience. And I, I know I've met a lot of people over the years who really like to banter back and forth about all that stuff. As a matter of fact, people who have read um, The Disappearance of the Universe, which is a 400-page book that's there to help describe and and analyze and tell you what the 1300 pages of way of, of um, a course in miracles is really about and as i mentioned last year about this time when i went to a seminar that was full of people who'd been studying course in miracles and been reading disappearance of the universe and gary renard's work and um there they were just gung ho they wanted to argue the point that michelle is discussing that there actually is no world. And anybody who wanted to offer a different opinion would stimulate a lot of anger. And I mean really intense emotional upset in those people. So, Well, do you think that different people have different learning styles and, you know, some of that inquiry is an attempt to gain mastery over the information being presented because sometimes there seems like a conflict. Michael, you, you, you know, ask questions. The, the silliest question is could be the most important one and encourage you to ask questions because the idea is to gain understanding. But then, yeah, there's other times where it's like really trying to understand, you know, what's going on here, but then that's, you know, um, not as favorable maybe as just feeling the feeling of the experience. So, you know, I, I don't know that I think that kind of when you said the banter about debating that kind of stuff, um, for me it helps me to understand a multifaceted perspective and so that I can, you know, come to a better understanding for and integrating to, to myself, my content, my history, you know, and make it meaningful for me. But uh, Susan's on the phone here, and so let's say hi to Susan. Welcome, young lady. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, loud and clear. How are things? I'm wonderful. Um, Uh, This this subject is very interesting, and I just want to chime in, even though I am in no way offering that I know anything. That's the first thing I want to say. The second thing is, I've been with the Course in Miracles a while, and I have asked this question over and over and over. And and the explanation that comes to me, and many times it's the Course is taught on two different levels, the level of the big T truth and the level of the little T truth, and the level of form and the level of content. So for me, the way I've reconciled it in my mind 
is the big key truth is the big key truth is that we are all one. There are no separate interests, and God is. Love is all there is. That's nice. And level two, I think this is the way it is, is what I'm experiencing is that I'm a body and that you're a body and that we're separate, and I'm living in a world of form. So I have always just said, uh, the Course says to take the level of form, which is the body, to the big T truth, and don't bring the big T truth into the level of form, which is the illusion. So um, I'm not clear on that, but that is the question that I've got to root at now, is to give me clarity so that I can speak more concisely about that. And so a lot of times I see people, and I can't give an example at this moment, but I'm sure it will come to me soon, uh, people bringing the level big T truth to this world. And you cannot do that. This world is is a little T. So um, anyway, and so I don't know if that makes sense to anybody, but I understand what the questioner is saying. If actuality is the level of the little T, where if I stump my toe, I think I'm a body. But the big T truth is, um, the answer in the Course in Miracles is there's one problem and there's one answer. And the problem is I believe I'm separate, living in the little T truth. And the truth is I am one with everything, living in the big T truth. So with that being said, that's where I'm at on this whole whole thing. Yes, I'm going to be kind and loving in the little T truth with my brothers and sisters as much as possible and clean up my illusion of a mind and know the truth that I'm one with God and there is uh, the only problem today has been answered. So there you go. That's my two cents. All right. Well, we appreciate your two cents. I appreciate you, Michael. It sounds like your throat's a little scratchy. It is. It is. me a couple days now. Part of the well, process. I've got Okay, I've got, well, that's good. Something else is clearing because you've been doing more of the right things, right? There you go. That's the plan. Every layer. I love it. I love it. I love it. Um, I'm going to be seeing you in a couple of, a few days. You are. That'll be awesome. We look forward to it. Actually, yeah, I'm excited. When you get there, when you get there, one of the things we'll do while you guys are there is we'll watch the new video, which we've not yet completed, for publication, but we will be publishing it, uh, that we did recently called What is the World from A Course in Miracles? Because when you talk about the big T and the little T, you talk about the capital W world and the lowercase world. And the course in that lesson, to me, it's it's probably the most misunderstood lesson in the course and one of the most important lessons in the course, which is why we uh, we put it on video. And the whole question that you're asking for me is resolved in the first line of that lesson. And that is the little t truth, little w world, the question is asked, what is the world? That's the question of the lesson. And then the next line resolves everything to do with that question. The world Little t truth, little w world, is false perception. It's not talking about the actuality of it. It's talking about this whole world that has us confused and thinking we're bodies. 
is a false perception. It's something we overlay on the actuality as the actuality was created. And the only place that forgiveness is designed to be used and where love needs to enter is into that little t truth, little w world that is based in false perception. And when false perception is cleaned up, we will see the world as it is. You know, another another thought that ties in there from the Course speaks about God's Word assures us that He loves the world. Therefore, it must not be the world you love. And most people love, live in, and don't know how to collapse the world of false perception. They actually believe the perceptions based in hostility or fear that their mind shows them. And in that is the separation. Once that is collapsed, then the realization of the connectedness and the oneness occurs. And now we get to live in the big W world, the one that the Creator's Word says is loved. It's the actuality. It's what the Creator actually created for us. But we'll watch that video while you're there. Oh, that's great. I know it's one minute till, Michael. I don't want to mess it up. So it's great. Thank you. I'm excited. I can't. That's even more. I'll drop. I'll I'll get there quicker. (laughs) All right. Awesome. Delighted and honored. We'll look forward to seeing you. Yeah, and I love everybody. I'm just saying hello. Cool. We're glad to hear from you. Look forward to seeing you. Awesome. So Terry, Terry, and Susan are going to be heading to Heartland this this next weekend, as is Stuart from Colorado that we've heard from on the show recently, and there'll be several other folks there. And we're going to be doing some planning and some looking at projects for what happens next at Heartland. So if anybody wants to come and join us, we'll probably be doing some work projects while they're there too. It's going to be kind of a a mini work week. We'd be delighted to have you join us. And uh, that'll be uh, people will be arriving on Friday, or actually probably Thursday. And so, if you'd like to uh, to join us, then drop me a line, let me know, and we'll make arrangements for that to happen. And uh, when you get there, we'll put you to work. We'll get some things done. So beyond that, we're down the last few seconds of the show, and so I'll just say we're delighted and honored that you're here. We invite you to take this uh, material and share it with someone else, bring a stranger to the show tomorrow, and create the best year yet of your eternal life. It is an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Wright and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.yagain.com. That's www.whyagain.com.